0: Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, podcasting. podcasting from Sydney, Australia, this is the Prime Podcast. independent, unfiltered, and uncensored, beginning in 3, 2, 1. <laughs> right, Dr. Joanna Howe, thank you for being here.
1: It's good to see you, Chris. I
0: think, I think this is the, the first is.
1: episode. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we've been to do this for a little while now and it's just um oh it's been madness it's been very busy and I wanted to get you on for the first episode of the second season. I think you the content that you share um I see it um and it affects me emotionally and and you know when I'm talking to people about your content they they have no idea that it goes on and and what goes on around us and they think it's it's exclusive to overseas. I don't understand that it's happening Right now, I'm sure you will go into particulars with different states. I'm sure they all have different legislations and and whatnot. But uh, so tell me a little bit about you and your background.
1: Okay. So, yeah, I didn't think I would be doing this. Um, If you told me this when I finished my law degree at Sydney Uni, then I'd be trying to influence people on social media on the issue of abortion. I would have laughed in your face. But um, I finished an economics law degree at Sydney, um, then went to Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar to look into the rights of workers in unfair dismissal. I did my PhD over there. In the meantime, I got married, had a kid over there, which was a little bit kind of countercultural. I remember when she was born and I went back to my studies with her, which I felt as a PhD student I was able to do. I married um, a supportive partner, so that's been helpful. But I remember we took her to college and it's all very formal over there in Oxford and the porter at the at the door, I said, can we bring our child to, to college? And he said, Oh well, I know that small dogs aren't allowed. In you know this very posh British accent, and I just looked at my child and thought, "Oh my goodness, what am I doing?" You know, here in Oxford. But came back to Adelaide, um, where my husband is from, and got a job at the university. So I've worked at the universities ever since, and recently got a promotion to professor, which is great. We have five kids, um, and yeah, no dogs. <laughs> the no kids dogs. Are begging us for one. Yeah. <laughs> I think when we stop having kids we'll probably start getting dogs and things. It's just I kind of don't want to have nappies and training a dog at the same no, time. So, yeah.
0: far too much work. It's like another person when you have a dog. Yeah, and, um, that's
1: what my son and I are watching Marley and me at the moment, and it's just making me think uh, we've got to delay the dog thing as much as we can.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's um yeah, it's, it's a big responsibility. But that's good. Five kids, same year. So I know how stressful and how full on it can be. So having a, a supportive partner, it's good that he's, you've got a supportive husband. That's very, very important. Yeah. So yeah, okay, so you've, um, you're have you definitely not on the trajectory that you would have thought. I'm sure when you went over there to Oxford, you, as you said yourself, you didn't yeah. think you'd be out here educating and informing people um, on abortion. So what was it in particular that made you realise? Did it just happen? Like you just started speaking about it and then it sort of... <laughs>
1: I think, look, the journey's been long. So I was actually pro-choice when I was at Sydney Uni and I thought women needed abortion to be empowered and I just assumed it was part of the of, of kind of the suite of policies that women needed in order to be equal to men. But I didn't really know what abortion was and when I was 21, I was travelling with a friend in a car and he challenged me on the issue of abortion and started asking me questions. I kind of found it really annoying because he was one of those guys that gets under your skin just with his mm. questions. And I also did that whole I'm a chick, why, you're a guy, well, how dare you, you know, have a view on this kind of thing. So yeah. I tried to kind of intimidate him. <laughs> not, you know, I'm not so proud of that now. But anyway, he asked me these questions like, if it's a human being in utero, then how can you kill that human being? I was like, it's not a human being because I'd never really thought about it before. I'd never seen ultrasound pictures at all. And, you know, he sort of said, like, um, and I sort of said, well, it's not a human being, it's not alive, you know, you're not really killing anything. And he said, well, the test of whether something is alive, if it's growing, and you know, a child in utero is growing. And anyway, I kind of sort of, we got into a heated argument and left it in that kind of really uncomfortable place. Um, but later on, uh unbeknownst to him, I started researching it and I read academic journal articles on what abortion is. I watched videos like abortion procedure videos, which are really gruesome, mm. looked at pictures as well. And I've got to say it was the pictures. And there was this one journal article that had pictures of aborted fetuses at various ages. And that just the humanity of them really struck me. And, you know, since so that was the starting point. And I remember thinking at the time, like, wow, if this is what abortion is, then it's the biggest issue in that that we face but why are we not talking about it why are there not billboards about it like why is it so silent on the issue but then you know i guess i just went back to kind of my life and i didn't really do anything the first foray was in oxford actually there was a pro-life student society and they'd been banned from having an o-week stall and they had it's because they had pictures of a fetus on in the stall and that the, the OEC committee said it would be distressing for students, but they weren't aborted fetuses. It was like a, a biological picture, you know, that you'd see in yeah. any kind of human biology textbook. So that kind of really got me irate, because that's a free speech issue. And yeah. if you can't, you know have those sort of societies at a university campus. And the idea of a university is robust discussion of ideas that we might disagree with. So I wrote an opinion piece for the UK Times. And that was kind of my first little foray. But then I came back to Australia. Um, and I got my first academic job at Adelaide Law School. And at the time, Anne Summers, have you heard of her, Chris? She's like an old school feminist. Yeah, she's no. pretty old. So she's Back in the day, I think she was like, you know, a pretty big deal, but, and, and so she was giving a big speech in 2012, and she said, you can't be pro life and be a feminist. And she's kind of like one of the you know, the pioneers of feminism in Australia. So that really irked me that she said that because it was just anti-history, like she didn't know mm. history. So, you know, like the first generation of feminists, people like Mary Lee, Elizabeth Nichols in Australia, um, people in like Susan B. Anthony in the US, they got us the right to vote and they were firmly against abortion because they knew that abortion hurt women. And the feminist movement, the second wave, they got co-opted by the abortion lobby and that's when feminism became synonymous with abortion rights. And so Anne Summers is a second wave feminist. Anyway, it really got under my skin. So I wrote an article um, for the Herald Sun saying, Um, you know, calling her out, calling her a feminist dinosaur, essentially, (laughs) pretty provocative piece. Um, I actually stuck it on my office door uh, when it was published, because we have a bit of a tradition of that in the law school, that you'd publish your, you'd put your opinion pieces and your articles on your office door. But anyway, none of the, or very few of the female staff members um, talked to me in that first six months. And then I wondered why. And then I realized I've got this ridiculously provocative article. That's why I'm not making any friends. But anyway, I've been there 12 years now. And I think I've got really good friends at the law school. A lot of my colleagues disagree with me, of course, as do many students. But I think what I've learned through this is you don't have to just live and socialize in your camp. You can actually reach across the aisle and talk to people and build those bridges. Sorry, this is a bit of a long journey. Should I go no, to the no. next?
0: Yeah, keep going. No problem.
1: Okay, so 2019 was probably the next big moment for me. Um, a colleague and I had researched the rights of doctors, you know, to freedom of conscience. So under Victorian law, at the, you know, from 2008, you had to refer for abortion. So even if you believe that abortion is a grave atrocity that kills a human being. You have to start the process. So my colleague and I, who's a professor, we looked into the history of conscientious objection and we wrote this academic piece. And in 2019, New South Wales was debating abortion up to birth and they were going to force doctors to refer for abortion against their conscience. And so we wrote an opinion piece in the Sydney Morning Herald on this, and in it we said that late-term abortions had increased by 39% since Victoria had legalised abortion right up until birth, and as a result it would lead to more referral. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that was kind of like setting off a little bomb because the New South Wales debate was very contentious. There were lots of New South Wales people that were, you know, kind of going to rallies and speaking out against this but our article was getting quoted in the parliament it got a lot of exposure and so the abc the abc did yeah. a fact check yeah so abc rmit fact check which i noticed that meta has just sacked them for being so biased i think it was on the voice um yes. so that felt like vindication when that happened a couple of weeks ago but back in 2019 they weaponized their very big megaphone against me and my colleague big article how late-term abortions increased in Victoria by 39% since 2008. And they could have given any verdict. They could have, you know, they could have said sort of right, completely right, you know, a bit wrong. They gave us the worst, harshest rating they could. They said completely wrong. And the fact check was a total stitch up because the number, like the percentage, was actually correct. (laughs) So, which they admit sort of really far down the article. Like, late term abortions have increased by 39% if you use a statistical method of average increase. There are other statistical methods you can use, which they used to say we were completely wrong and then the end of the fact check is like nine abortion providers quoted about why we need more abortion so it's like a totally politically motivated yeah. fact check but it was gut-wrenching Chris like I think what they try to do is kind of stop you from speaking out if you're yeah, going do. against their view, and and they were trying yeah. to shame me and it was hard like you know I, I, I was really pregnant at the time with my fifth child and I just didn't need it in my life, this kind of battle. And I it was really, really hard. So I kind of retreated um into my shell again. And, you know, we wrote a, a response which the ABC refused to publish. And so it went on a website that nobody reads. You know, and that was the difficulty. You know, I felt like, yeah. how do I pull these people out when they have so much power? But then in 2021, this is where the fire really starts to, you know, grow in me and I start to find courage, I think, for the first time, really. 2021, I watched the South Australian Parliament vote abortion up to birth. So I I, I was sitting there in the public gallery as they were debating this this terrible law that was essentially mirroring the Victorian and Queensland and New South Wales laws, Mm. you know, because all the, you know, it was like dominoes, the way this stuff works. And The politicians didn't know, like I felt like they didn't really know anything, they didn't know the facts. So, you know, David Spears uh, got up and he asked the Attorney General who was pushing this bill, he said, could a baby under your law be aborted at 35 weeks? If the baby's physically healthy and the mum's physically healthy, could that baby be aborted for a mental health reason? And the Attorney General looked at him in the eye and said, on the advice I've been given, no, that child would not be, would not be aborted. And I wanted to scream. Like I wanted to stand up from the public gallery and shout in 2012, 2000, sorry in 2011, in 2011, a 37 week old physically healthy child, mum physically healthy, was killed through abortion at a Melbourne hospital. And that child should have been induced alive and placed out for adoption. Like the idea that you would go in and kill a full term baby. So it is totally conceivable and possible under the Attorney General's law, which passed, and it's it's legal across Australia. In fact, that. There is no protection for a child in utero right up until the moment of birth. Like there is nothing, no legal provision that requires a doctor to take into account the gestational viability of that child, how advanced they are, how healthy they are. You know, we could just induce these children alive and then take care of them because to get them out through late-term abortion, You actually have to kill them first in utero and then induce labour so the mother goes into labour and delivers a child stillborn, which is incredibly traumatic. Mm. So, you know, in 2021 when I'm watching this parliamentary debate, essentially, you know, built on lies, I I just wanted to scream and... (laughs) um, yeah, it was it was heartbreaking to watch. Like I'd given i I'd actually given a speech on the steps of Parliament just moments before to this massive crowd, you know, and I could see that um maybe this was I was meant to do this. Like in doing that speech, it was like another little step. And it was kind of like a maybe I'm meant to do this, like somebody has to do it. And I caught the train home after Parliament that night and just cried actually all the way to where I live, down in Adelaide and down south. And it was then that I started to realise if I don't do something, if I don't speak up, then it's going to get even worse. Like we already have abortion up to birth. We already do not give children who survive an abortion a legal right to care. The next logical step is we'll say a child is born and they're disabled or we don't like the gender or there's something a bit wrong with them or the mother is struggling, it's okay to kill that child. And we'll say, oh, if for the first, you know, 30 days. But then it becomes 90 days. Like I don't think that's alarmist because in Australia it's legal to kill a child right up until birth and even after birth they're not entitled to care so you know I kind of had to speak up
0: yeah and it's a credit to you because I'm sure it's not easy Um, as someone myself who's quite outspoken I know that it does get difficult at times and you do cop a lot of abuse and and look but on the fact checkers uh yeah that's right Meta did uh discontinue their their services because they're incredibly biased Incredibly biased. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's them. I've had a few fact, uh, fact-checked articles about some things that I've said in the past too, and they—they are incredibly biased. It's very clear that they go into that article or their opinion um, with a preconceived agenda, and they just try to find the the way to that to their end, mm-hmm. um, and they'll use whatever they can to get there. So um, yeah. now I just look at it as as a badge of honor if if they. Take the time to try and, and fact check something that I've said. Then obviously I know that I'm saying the right things. That's yeah. generally I've noticed that pattern in the last few years. Um, you know they they pick up on certain things and they completely ignore other things. And the things they pick up on is generally what they're trying to protect. They're trying to safeguard that agenda or the narrative.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, but
0: it's very very tough. And it's a credit to you for getting up there and speaking. It's definitely not easy public speaking, especially on an Thank issue you. that's. That
1: I was just going to say, like, in our response that nobody read, um, we actually pointed out there were plenty of statements that had been made in the debate on abortion up to birth in New South Wales that the ABC chose not to fact check. You know, the most common thing you hear is that late-term abortion is rare and it's only done to save the mother's life or because of a lethal congenital abnormality. And that was being said all the time. And it's still being said. Currently, there's a debate in WA as we speak about abortion up to birth and making it even easier to get it. And yet, you know, you don't see the ABC or any other kind of fact-check organisation. The Guardian's, you know, launching its fact-check on The Voice. And mm. you, you, they don't fact-check those statements that are consistent with their ideology. And mm. that's why I think in 2021 I realised, or, you know, a little bit later actually because I started speaking out properly on social media in 2022, I realised social media is a direct route to people and it's a way that you can get your message out unfiltered. But it's why I'm very concerned, I'm sure you are, about the Albanese government's proposal with the Ministry of Truth, you know, Mm. this idea that the ACMA would have powers to find social media companies who don't police the truth or misinformation online, it's just basically giving them an imprimatur to go after people like me and you who disagree with the dominant ideology on things to Mm. and and just put a big fat label on us and and to not even then allow us to speak on those platforms.
0: Well, that's what will ultimately happen with this Ministry of Truth is that the you know, the consequences for social media companies are quite severe. So what you're mm. going to find is that, yeah, you can only imagine. Look, I'm not saying that people don't lie and, and share misinformation online. I've seen plenty of it. They absolutely do. Of course they do. But, but they you know, have been
1: doing that since the beginning of time. Like, yeah, of with, course. you know, that's just the nature of humanity, right? That's
0: right. And it, it, I think, it, you know, what? it's also important. I think it's important. Mm. Like if, if someone wants to come out and tell me that the sky is actually green, it's not blue. Um, yeah. Okay, you're wrong. But if you, you want to think yeah. that, then you're allowed to think that. It's okay. And if you believe that person, well, then that's a reflection of the individual. If, if so, it's, it's up to everyone. No matter how ridiculous someone's claims are, we should all have the right to look at it ourselves and make it. Like they're, they're treating us like children. And ultimately, yeah. ultimately, the ministry of truth. And I've said this now since the beginning of COVID that they've really ramped up these fact-checkers and this mis- and disinformation. And I'll tell you what's happened. So a bit off subject, but it will come back to where you were. So if you think back to our parents and our grandparents, their only sources of information were the TV, newspapers, and the radio. That was it. They had no other source of information. So what was it was very easy to control certain narratives, very, very easy. As long as they had control of, and absolutely the government do have influence over the media, 100%. So you've got you know, the TV networks all on the same channel, on the same page. You've got uh, the newspapers. You've got the radio, all following the same narrative, which isn't too hard to do. And then you have the internet come about. And it wasn't as much of an issue, but what's happened slowly and then it really ramped up during COVID is that people started looking for their own their own truth and going to Mm. different sources for that information. And the the government, like if you look at the overall trust in government today compared to 15 years ago, there would be a dramatic difference, huge. Mm. People just do not trust them at the moment. They don't. So when they get up there and they try and, you know, like the alarmism throughout COVID, it got to the point then where people were just, they didn't want to hear it. They just did not, they didn't Mm. believe them. They didn't believe a single word. Um. Out of their mouth because that's it's distrust over because we know we've been lied to and I feel like this well, it's spectrum... come out.
1: I mean, it's, Chris, it's even come out, hasn't it, through court cases in the US mm. that um, the White House, the FBI, the CIA, they were all in cahoots around what the messaging should be around COVID, mm. and they forced the social media companies to comply with that. They 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 were in league together on that, and and that has come out in court cases, and I think more will come out. Mm. But for me, this is really about freedom of speech being fundamental to a democracy. And our constitution, unfortunately, doesn't protect freedom of speech the way it does in the US. So their constitution is different to ours. And that's a problem because, you know, this this proposal, this Ministry of Truth proposal, if we had a constitutional right to freedom of speech, that would protect us, you know. But this, this proposal would limit free speech online. And as you said, like the dominant media establishment has a consistent ideology with the government, and particularly on this topic of abortion. Actually, Chris, like you cannot get um, a critical article in the in the mainstream press of on abortion. Like you just cannot. Like they, it's just not what they do. And so you know, like even there's been a couple of Senate inquiries this year. And uh, there's been thousands of submissions from people like myself who are, who are raising questions about this policy of abortion up to birth. And the committees have not been publishing the submissions and I've tried to get a couple of journalists, brave journalists who I know are interested in this kind of thing to cover it, and, and they've been shut down by the editors because it's just not, it, it goes against kind of the pro-abortion ideology of the mainstream media. And, but the media companies are exempt from the ministry of truth bill as you probably know um you know they're allowed to publish misinformation the government is exempt they're allowed to publish yeah. misinformation but it's just ordinary people like you and me and the people listening we will have our voices shut down and that's really concerning
0: yeah, very very concerning if, if that does get through it'll change the country forever it really will you got to have people that and look I've, I've had it myself i've thought about sharing something and i thought you know what if i share this even though I know what I'm saying is true. I know that the fact checkers are going to jump on it. They're going to say, no, that I'm going to get my account suspended for 90 days. And so you're starting to censor yourself. Mm. And and that's very tough. And I never would have thought that we'd be living in this country and thinking whether or not I should share the truth. Mm. And and that's where we're at. And it's very concerning. Now, on to the subject of late term abortion. So, I wanted to speak to you about that. So, I think before we jumped on, we had a quick chat, and I said that I'd spoken to Evelyn Rose, who's been on my show a few times now, and she very briefly touched on it. Um, but I hadn't looked into it any more than where we left it in that conversation. So, I wanted to dive into that a little bit more. So, when you say late term abortion, again, I'm sure the states are different, but what age is that up to? and yeah. what conditions need to be met so let's say for example 36 weeks 35 weeks the mother decides you know what i really don't want to i don't want this baby anymore is that grounds for that or does it have to be as you said you know a, a complication or you know a risk of 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 death or injury to the mother so what are the conditions that need to be met and from what age yeah that's
1: a good question so i think we should start by talking about what is a late term abortion it's not a precise medical term but Ranscog, which is the college like of doctors um the peak body they identify a late abortion as being from 20 weeks and i think the reason we're talking 20 weeks on so 20 weeks to 40 weeks essentially um or full term because some babies are born at 41 weeks 42 mm-hmm. um, is because at that point the child is really encroaching a upon viability. So we've had children born in Australia at 22 weeks. We've also had children born worldwide at 21 weeks. Now, that's extremely premature, but yeah. the reality is at that point in time, a child is pain capable, so they can totally feel pain. They've also got everything they need, like they're all there, their bodies is, is formed and it's just about growth and development. Um, so, you know, at that point after 20 weeks, you've got a child that is either very close to viability or completely viable. And so, for example, at 28 weeks, by that point, you've got an 80 to 90% chance of living outside the womb at that point if you are born early. So, you know, we're talking about children that, you know, really are, are babies. Like, you know, it's it, they're babies that um, if they're born early, they're protected by the law and everything is done to try and help that child to survive. So that's, that's what we're talking about. And what has happened is Victoria was the first place to do this and it was 2008, but since then every other state and territory has implemented essentially a very similar law to Victoria. And what it says is that if you want an abortion after, you know, 20 weeks, and each state has a kind of different number there, um, and in fact, you know, I think Victoria's might be 24, but but basically they say if you want a late abortion, you have to have the approval of two doctors. The thing to note is that the second doctor doesn't even need to see the patient or consult the file. And what they try to say is that this two-doctor rule is a check and balance on the process. But if you look at the legislation in each of the states and territories, like I said before, there's nothing there about the rights of that child. Like there's no recognition you've got a viable child. In South Australia where I'm from, there is there's it's a slightly better law like I managed to advocate along with other people here for a slight improvement on the law but even in my state you could get an abortion right up until birth for a psychosocial reason and a psychosocial reason Chris is any kind of reason that affects or affects a woman's well-being or quality of life so okay. it could be mental health depression anxiety but it could also be job loss it could be relationship breakdown it could be um insecure health housing. It really can be anything like the spectrum is wide in terms of what affects someone's well-being. And so what that means is in Victoria, we've got the longest, I guess, case study of how these laws work from Victoria. And in Victoria, we know that 44% of late term abortion, so nearly one in two, for a psychosocial reason. So you've got a healthy baby with a physically healthy mum. And what I don't understand is why don't we just respect the rights of that child and the rights of the mother and induce that child early and give the child medical care and the mother medical care. Like if the mother's really suffering and she really can't cope to carry that baby for any longer, then, you know, instead of getting her to deliver that baby dead, deliver the baby alive, give care to the child, place the child up for adoption because they don't go into the foster care system. Foster care system's a mess, but its goal is reunification. And this child, who's the product of uh, an unwanted pregnancy and the mother wants to abort, then you know they, they, there's no goal of unification, so they can go into adoption, and we've got massive waiting lists for that. You know, so mm-hmm. there are families that would, would take those children willingly, um, you know, and and so that's that's a real thing around the fact that in every state and territory we allow abortion essentially for psychosocial reasons, and so you're killing healthy children with physically healthy mums, and you don't need to kill them. You know, that's kind of what I'm I'm trying to educate people on that on that issue.
0: Well, it, it sounds to be almost a, a legal loophole. Where they, well, they know that I, they can they can yeah. as you said like it's such a the world, wellness is such a broad term it could mm. as you said depression anxiety job loss uh, insecure housing every second third person will be diagnosed with depression so
1: yeah
0: again that that's is it as simple and straightforward as that like if a woman goes in
1: it is I mean I, I really think it is like I don't think there's a reason a woman could give that would not fall under that banner. And, for example, in Melbourne, Dr. Mark Hobart was approached by an Indian couple, and I'm from India, Chris, and they wanted to abort the child because the child was a girl. And you would think that that would not be possible because it's essentially just discriminatory. It's killing Mm. girls in utero just because because they're girls and the country you know that I'm from India we will have six million fewer girls by 2030 because of sex selective abortion so it's a really live issue there was a study done by the University of La Trobe in Victoria it found that in certain ethnic communities 125 boys are being born to 100 girls and the ratio naturally occurring should be about 105 to 100 So, you know, we know that there is something amiss going on, and yet Dr Mark Hobart was censored by the Medical Association for refusing to give an abortion on the basis of sex selection. And right now there's a debate going on in WA, and can you believe this? Um, The majority of the upper house, there was an amendment by Labor MP Kate Dow saying, okay, we can introduce abortion up to birth, but at least let's have a ban on sex-selective abortion to protect our girls. And all these so-called feminists in the parliament voted against that amendment. So they essentially said, yes, we can have an abortion for any reason. And what they were saying is there's no evidence this is an issue, but there is, and we, we have the data. Like we're a multicultural country. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a, in, a, in a culture where I was valued less than my older brother, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it kind of annoyed the hell out of me and it, it lit a fire in me to want to be better, but it was so... Frustrating that he he just had that kind of natural edge on me in my community because he was a boy. And the data actually bears that out from this La Trobe University study, but also worldwide. The UN has acknowledged there's over a hundred million girls missing worldwide. And then you've got these, you know, dumbass, sorry, like politicians and yeah. double w- standing up saying there's no evidence. Well, they just don't want to see the evidence they are willfully ignoring the evidence and then the media is not holding them to account on the truth and so you know i think i raised that point to say yes it is it is like this kind of legal it's almost like they're trying to say oh we've got two doctors checking so you know we've really had this very robust process yeah. but then in reality it's like carte blanche you know like there isn't a reason you can give that would not allow you to get in a late-term abortion right up until birth. So, for example, get this, Chris. In New South Wales, there was a couple and they were having, they were a Chinese couple having a little baby girl and they found out at the 20-week scan that just one of her hands was not working right. You know, it it was kind of like a cleft hand. And so, you know, everything else was fine, right? This little girl, other than that disability, was completely fine. And so they searched around for a doctor that would approve the abortion and she was killed at 28 weeks. 28 weeks she was killed and she would have had a 90% chance of of living if if induced instead of being killed first. And what they should have done is said, let's induce this child alive. And the reason the couple gave was that in China there's a lot of discrimination against um, people with disabilities and they didn't want to raise a child in Australia who had a disability because of that. And the Sydney Morning Herald had this ridiculous headline, which kind of was about how hard it is to get a late-term abortion. Instead of, isn't this disgusting, we're discriminating against people and killing them because they're disabled. Like, you know, that was the headline from the SMH of how hard it was for this Chinese couple. It's ridiculous. Like, you know, the, the so fact, I, that, I, the I, fact I that they gave the,
0: the reason of of, of, the that in China that, people with disabilities are, are frowned upon that, well, that's irrelevant it's here actually. that's what i was going to say to you it's here it's not i does no one say that to them like well hold on well, you're that's right. like
1: it certainly wasn't in the article like the article the journalist was incredibly like uncritical of this whole thing and i think that's one of the things i'm fighting back at is that oh, we just have to respect the woman's choice her body mm. her choice But, you know, there is another human being like it's actually just scientifically accurate to say that right from the moment of fertilisation, you have another human being. So it's not just her body. And the second point is in a late-term abortion, you actually have a human being that can survive outside the womb if induced alive and given medical care. And it's no longer you have to get that baby out anyway. So it's not her body, her choice, really. Like you have Mm. to get that body and uh, that body out Why? Does she have the right or the family have the right to kill that child? Why Mm. don't we respect the human rights of that child? And so, you know, that's really something that I want to see change in our country. And I think the way we will see change is through spreading awareness. I I just think, like you said at the beginning, people don't know about it. They just Mm. believe this this myth that it never happens or that if it does happen, it's really rare. So we have this Greens MP, Tammy Franks, and she's a bit of a joke, like she's in the SA Parliament. And she really is, like she, she... you know, she got up in 2018 and said there's no there's no evidence of a mental health impact of abortion on women, you know, and there was a visible gasp in the public gallery who were listening on because that just goes against all the data about yeah. post-abortion that exists. But anyway, in the 2021 debate, she told the ABC that late-term abortion is extremely rare. And, you know, I, when you think about it, you know, I've done the data on two states. So Queensland and, and Victoria released data on abortion right up until birth and what you can see is that there's been 4,929 late-term abortions in Victoria and Queensland between 2010 and uh, 2020. So you know in that 11-year period nearly 5,000 children who were viable were killed first and induced dead and Tammy says that's rare but you know, I'd say to Tammy, like, if there were five thousand shark attacks at like Glenelg Beach or Bondi Beach, would you be getting in the water? Like, it's a frame of reference. She's weaponizing a mm. word to try and minimise the annihilation of children that could live outside the womb. You know, I, I just think if, if there were five thousand deaths in another space for children, we would be there'd be an outcry. But it's because of this agenda. Like, there's a very, very big moneyed up abortion lobby in this country there's big money in this there's millions of dollars that the government gives to the abortion industry to perform these abortions there's people whose you know livelihoods and careers depend on performing abortion and abortion being a good thing you know so that's why these things are said but it's it's really really disheartening like to look at the to look at the actual data you know to see to see what it is
0: it is very disheartening and look i think I think it's all, as you said, spreading awareness on the issue is very, very important. It's critical. And I think when you say abortion, just in general terms to the average person, people automatically think of eight weeks, 10 weeks, you know, taking a tablet or whatever they take, um, early stages, um, or, you know, very, very early abortion. No one, no one thinks late term abortion. No. I said, When I've had this yeah. conversation with people, they don't believe me. They go, surely that's not true. Surely we're missing something. There's got to be more to it. And I said, well, based on what I know, I don't think there is much more to it. I think that's the reality of it. And you've just confirmed that
1: okay. it essentially is it's not, it's not hard for law. them. Yeah. There's nothing in our law, Chris. Like there's nothing in our law that protects the human rights of that child when they're viable. There's nothing yeah. to prevent an abortion at 40 weeks. There's just nothing, you know, and, um, It's like the other side doesn't want to hear it. Like they just... They, yeah. they don't want this message getting out to people. Um, so that's why this is really important. But I've actually, you know, because I've got research skills, so it's kind of interesting because people accuse me of making shit up. And mm. I uh, I like that because, you know, I sort of say, well, in my other area of research, like I'm a professor of law, I'm a Rhodes Scholar, um, the federal government appointed me this year to review the migration program, they appointed three people as part of an eminent person's review. You know, so I'm, I'm obviously very credible and respected in my migration and labour law research, so I just make stuff up in the abortion space like it it's sort of you know it's kind of I laugh at it you know and so I've I've put a lot of effort into producing fact sheets that are fully referenced and people can go and look at the primary sources so they're available on my website drjoanahow.com facts and so I've got fact sheets on babies born alive but also late term abortion and also the abortion pills so I've got a couple of fact sheets there and I'm producing more um it just takes me a while because I have to do the research on them Mm. um but you know I, I really uh I really make the effort to be accurate on things because that's important in this space in particular. Um, and, you know, I sort of think the, the main thing that I hear against me is that I'm lying or that I'm religious. That's that's the two things. Like no one actually engages in the arguments. It's just you're lying or you're a religious zealot or fanatic. And I never talk about religion in this context. I don't even think it's relevant. I think it's unhelpful. So I never talk about religion to justify why um, we should not have abortion right up until birth. Just like in my other research on migrant workers, I don't use religion there either. Like, you know, and but no one throws those insults at me there in that space. And, mm. you know, it's, it's kind of really interesting to sort of be on the receiving end um, of, of taking an issue on where I'm going against the establishment and then just seeing what they do.
0: Yeah. Well, look, a lot of times, and I think we can all agree, that religion Look, it's very important, and it's the basis of most of our morality. I mean, when you think of what we consider right and wrong, a lot of that does come from religion. And I think it's it's relevant, but as you said, it's, it's not necessary in this discussion. Well, but it, it's still, um, you know, again, it's I'm pretty sure all major religious groups would be of a similar opinion with abortion.
1: Yeah, so that that's true, Chris. And and look, I think the thing, the issue I have is that the media portrays the anti-abortion perspective as you're white, you're old, you're Christian, and you're a man, you know. And you know, when the South Australian Parliament was debating abortion up to birth, the Abortion Action Coalition, so the activists on the other side, they were tweeting things like, you know, if there were more women, if these men had a uterus, we would get abortion up to birth in a minute, you know, like they were, they were they were sort of mocking the the the, the mm. men who were who were actually advocating against the abortion in that parliament so the thing I think though is we live in a society where there's a separation of church and state and we are a secular country Um, so I, I actually think like while you know within religious communities it's okay to to talk about abortion from that perspective and to look at religious texts and to see what they say about the issue but I, I I think in the public square, given that we live in a secular society and the separation of church and state, I think it's important to make the arguments against abortion not on the basis of religion. And not all pro-life groups agree with me, but I make a special effort to make sure that even if you're an atheist, you can agree that abortion is wrong. And, in fact, you know, I've convinced a lot of people on this. Like there's one of my students who has now graduated. Um, she ended up emailing me after graduation to say that through watching my videos, and she's completely secular no christian background but she said you know i I initially agreed with you on late-term abortion but now through researching it myself i'm actually against abortion from fertilization and so you know i really think all you need to know is is it okay to kill a human being when is it okay to kill a human being and you know you can't those are difficult questions to answer and Hmm. you have a human being from conception that human child is growing from 12 weeks they're fully formed and so if you can kill a child in utero um, why can't you kill a child ex-utero? Like what mm. is conceptually the difference? Like what magically happens in the birth canal that yeah. makes someone a human being with human rights that are protected under the law yeah. and and what's different before then, you know? And so I think unpacking those issues is really important. Um, but, you know, Chris, actually in our country, we don't even protect the human rights of children who survive an abortion. You know, like but that, We'll get on to that in we- just
0: two seconds. I just want to ask you this question. If I was to walk up to a woman who's 36 weeks, 38 weeks pregnant and I assault her for whatever reason, yeah. and as a result of that assault, she loses the child, what would happen to me
1: Yeah, in terms so of the charge? Yeah. yeah, so in Queensland and New South Wales, there's Sophie's Law and Zoe's Law. You would be charged with two counts because we recognise that that's a second person. You know, and so I—I th- I mean, I think that it's really interesting, actually, to look at the hypocrisy in this area. Like, I've got
0: to say that it's very—I yeah, even,
1: even the UN. If you look at the death penalty, like the UN Convention um, on the Death Penalty, the, the, the in the ICCPR, it says you can—it's legal for states to have the death penalty, but you can't impose the death penalty on a pregnant woman. And why? Well, it's not because she's pregnant and you're just being socked on her because she's pregnant. It's Mm. because there's another human being there who is the innocent third party, you know. So there are all sorts of ways. Like even in the state that I'm from, Chris, um, after 20 weeks, if you suspect a child is being abused in utero because the mum's taking drugs or or drinking excessively, you can report that mother um, to child protection authorities so that that child is then cared for. Um, You know, in Victoria, if a child is born... Um, after t- 20 weeks after an abortion, they get a birth certificate and a death certificate. So they're still born, they're killed first and then born. They get a birth certificate and a death certificate because we recognize that that's a person. You know, so we've, it's just kind of crazy, like the, the disjunction. Well, it, the it doesn't make
0: sense. It doesn't make yeah, it sense. It doesn't. doesn't. No.
1: Yeah. And, you know, like it's like a baby shower, it's not a fetus shower, is it? You know, like there's so many ways mm. that, oh, and pain relief, Chris. So in utero from 18 weeks, it's standard practice that you would get pain relief for that child if fetal surgery is taking place and Kourtney Kardashian just had fetal surgery in her child who's who is okay and she said she was really pressured into an abortion and she's so thankful she didn't get one but anyway pain relief is standard because the health outcomes are better and the child can feel pain but yet an abortion yet in abortion in Australia we do not have pain relief throughout the abortion process, all 40 weeks. And, you know, in Victoria, there was an amendment on pain relief in New South Wales, and the MPs stood up and voted against giving children in utero pain relief. So there's so much um, of this that just doesn't make sense.
0: Why why do they have a problem? Why would you vote against that?
1: Exactly. The child's going to die anyway, aren't they? Like you're killing them. You're just doing it a bit more humanely. You know, and in 2021 there was a good journal article written actually by a pro-choice and pro-life academic, and they wanted to come to some consensus on the issue of pain, and they did a meta-analysis of all the pain studies, and they came to the recommendation that from 18 weeks in an abortion you should have anaesthesia for the child so that they don't feel pain in that process. And yet, you know, these politicians, like, it wouldn't have affected a woman's right to an abortion, but they still didn't want to do it.
0: It's so bizarre that when you when you actually break it down and you look at the hypocrisy within just something as basic as as you said the was it Zoe's law was it the one you mentioned? So
1: Zoe's law in New South Wales and Sophie's law just passed this week, Chris, in Queensland.
0: Yeah. So when you look at that, you think, well, how on one hand could you say do that, and then on the other hand, well, because the mother's making the decision, it makes it okay. That's what they're essentially mm-hmm. saying that if 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 a if a stranger or anyone other than the mother harms mm-hmm. that child then there's legal consequences for their action. But if yeah. the mother decides to harm the child, then it's her right to do so as her mother. That's yeah. essentially what they're saying.
1: That's what they're saying. And then after birth, we know that that's just not the case. Like a mother can't harm her child. That's, yeah. you know, the child will get taken away. The mother will go to jail potentially, depending if on the harm. Like if she kills a child, that's what would happen. You know, so it's hmm. it's it's really important to make what what is implicit in these discussions in these laws explicit, you know, like you just said, we are we have laws like Zoe's law and Sophie's law that recognise that in utero you've got a human being who has pr- human rights or, or rights under the law and so then it's it's a crime to kill them and yet at the same time in those same places we have abortion right up until birth if a mother wants it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so bizarre. It, it defies, like you, you'd think that anyone especially in Parliament, the fact that, that they must realise, like they must realise how ridiculous yeah, it is. I, I,
1: I, yeah, look, I thought that by doing this, it would just change. Like, I just assumed that it would make a difference and these politicians would then kind of go, oh, so this is the truth and the data and they'd kind of their eyes would be opened. And just recently, two weeks ago, I went to WA to meet with politicians and I'd produced a research report that looked at some of these issues, particularly sex selection, pain relief as well, and also the late-term abortion issue and children born alive, which I know we're going to talk about. Interestingly, like, you know, the people that were just going to vote the way of the abortion industry They didn't want to meet. So that was really difficult. I emailed them all my report, but they didn't want to meet because they just didn't want to hear it. But then one of them did. So one of those very pro-abortion female MPs in the Labor Party, she met with me. And it was so interesting. I was really excited to have this opportunity to present the data on sex selection to her, for example. Because she's like this white, middle-aged woman and you know i'm telling her as someone from an ethnic community that this is an issue and i'm showing her the data from australia but worldwide as well and she's just looking at me and saying no i'm, I'm i think a woman should be able to choose i'm not going to vote against sex selection i don't think it's an issue i don't think it happens i'm like it does happen <laughs> look at this study she's like no it doesn't happen you know and it's kind of like it's 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 almost like this willful blindness or i think because they they just, and they, you know it's it's really hard but i oh, might be now. Good.
0: I think they're scared. Yeah. I think they're scared yeah. to be the ones that, that put their neck on the line and say yeah, exactly. it's, it's very know, powerful. Yeah.
1: Chris, there's this politician in WA, Ayo, I talked about her this week. Um, she stood up in the parliament and said, I'm a Christian, so who am I to judge if a woman gets an abortion? She said, I came to the parliament to be a voice for the voiceless. And then she said, I'm going to vote for this bill that allows abortion up to birth. You know, And I just sort of think, like, those things don't add up. You know, like no. they just, you cannot, you, you you can't be a Christian and be pro-abortion right up until birth. You just can't. Like the biblical texts make it really clear about that. But yeah, yeah. but even beyond, even just from a human rights perspective, you want to be a voice for the voiceless. Well, a gestationally viable child or a child born who is left to die without a legal right to care, there's no more voiceless than that, you know. And it's yeah. sort of like, well, why are you not voting against this bill? Well, it's probably because you come from a faction the left faction of the Labor Party, the health minister who's pushing this very pro-abortion bill is the leader of that faction, the most senior member. Mm. And so there's, you know, there's all of this in the mix. And it's like I've realised, Chris, we need to just elect a better calibre of politician. I've realised that even if you present the current crop with the data, they're still going to vote the way of the money of the abortion Mm. lobby. And so we just need better people in parliament and we need to educate Australians to rise up to vote on this issue and to care about a better calibre of politician.
0: Yeah, well, I'll bring something to your attention. I don't know whether you've seen it. It was a document from Planned Parenthood off the top of my head. It was in the 1960s, I think. It was recommendations on population control.
1: So mm-hmm. that, that's
0: a very big um, yeah. agenda that gets pushed from the top. as the, They're obsessed yeah. with controlling population. And so I can find it here. Uh, here we go. So it was a document, 19, there I was writing, 1969, mm. I don't know if you've seen it, um, proposed measures to reduce fertility by university or selectively of impact in the US. Um, and it goes through universal impact, selective impacts, depending on socioeconomic status, measures, uh, measures uh, an existing market, that one's irrelevant, but to get to it, they, in terms of social constraints about restructuring and altering the the ideal family size, which you've seen that, you know, mm. in the 70s, and 80s, commercial TV commercials were full of four, five, six children, big families. Now, you're lucky if there's one child per yeah. couple, right? Do you can see they've done that? And um, as a result, com- we're
1: not even meeting our replacement rate, Chris. Like, we no, have no, to rely not. on my because we're not having enough children.
0: It's, it's yeah. very concerning. Um, you can see different things here like um, you know, getting women back into the workplace, all these things, that was part yeah. of their plan. And then you see here um, some of these haven't come to fruition, but many of them have. So, for example, payments to encourage sterilisation, payments to yeah. encourage contraception, payments to encourage abortion, abortion and sterilisation on demand allow contraceptives to be distributed non-medically, improve contraceptive technology. So you can go through it. But you can see there that the agenda was very, very clear from the late 60s about, because at that yeah. time, I wasn't around, neither were you, but at that time, that would have been so foreign. Like the idea yeah. of abortion would have been foreign. Even contraceptive yeah. would have been foreign. Um, but now you look back and think, well, you know what, they've achieved most of that or their goal. It's so easy yeah. to get an abortion. I know I know people, uh, and again I'm not judging them, I like them, but I know people that that have had so many abortions. It's like just part of their their yeah. life. Like six, you know seven, what, eight, it's like
1: You know what's so tragic, Chris, <clears throat> is that if second wave feminism had had held their ground and, and 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 recognized that all free, easy access to abortion after birth does is it lets men off the hook. You know, like 86% of women that go going for abortions in the US do not have partners. The men don't want to stay with them, right? And the reality is like free, easy abortion. The woman has to go through that procedure, which can be incredibly traumatic. She has to then bear that in her body for the rest of her life. Cells of the child still remain in her, actually, through in, because she's been pregnant.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and, and, and she carries that for the rest of her life, you know. But the man can walk away like scot-free. And what second-wave feminism should have done is fight for corporations and modern workplaces to be more accepting and empowering to women that have children. Because essentially now the modern workplace can just say, well, you can be the same as men. Like you can neuter your reproductive potential and capacity by just killing your child in utero and you can go back to work, which is why big companies are funding, you know, abortion care, they call it, yeah. you know. Um, giving those payments is so much cheaper than maternity leave, for example. And so, you know, this has really done a disservice to women. And a lot of people don't realise that Planned Parenthood the founder of that was Margaret Sanger, and back in the 1950s and 60s there's a lot of her writing which is really just incredibly racist and it's based in eugenics. It's like let's set up these clinics in black neighbourhoods. Let's kill people with disabilities because they're not the right kind of people that we want to have, you know, and yet that's the founder of Planned Parenthood, and people don't understand that legacy, you know, that really if we if we look at what abortion does, Is it sanctions killing people who might be girls or who are disabled just because they're girls or just because they're disabled? So Down syndrome in Australia, nine out of ten children who get diagnosed with Down syndrome are killed, and yet Down syndrome is not a life-threatening illness, and a lot of research shows that quality of life for those children and their families is more positive, actually. Like people who have siblings with Down syndrome report higher happiness ratings, and yet Sweden boasted a couple of years ago with eliminated Down syndrome. But they didn't mean they've come up with a cure for Down syndrome. They just meant they've eliminated all people in Sweden with Down syndrome. And, you know, that's disgusting. Like, what kind of world do we want to live in? You know, and it's like all these sort of so-called, you know, feminists and, like, you know, human rights activists, they, they, they talk about, you know, Black Lives Matter. Well, what about in utero? You know, they're against ableism and disability discrimination. But what about in utero where it's literally sanctioned? Got a mm. child that's disabled will kill them, you know. I've got a good friend who whose child was diagnosed with like a cleft lip in utero and she was told to get an abortion and she chose not to. And so the child was born, they did the operation and the child's lip <laughs> looks fine. But even if yeah. the child had had that disability for the rest of their life and they looked a bit strange, I, I kind of think that's the sort of world we should be okay with, you know, like
0: yeah. a world well, where we
1: don't all have to be perfect.
0: My cousin, um, who I'm very, very close to, is more like a, a little brother to me. He's got Down syndrome, and he's he's my favourite person in the world. He's just a bundle of mm-hmm. happiness all the time, twenty four seven.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like there's so and, much joy in that community. Yeah,
0: and I know that when um, after him, they when uh, my auntie fell pregnant again, there was a push to do a. I think it's called new. Oh, it's been a long a time.
1: Right? test. Yeah, I yes. know what you mean. To, to check to mean.
0: check for that and. I Remember saying the only reason they'd offer that is to give you the choice that yes, if if this one also has Down syndrome, then terminate it. Why else would like if if you're adamant, if you're against abortion completely, right? And even if it does show that the child's likely to have Down syndrome, and you're not, there's no way you're going to get rid of it. What's the point of you knowing? Like whether you know then or whether you know at birth, what difference does it make? I
1: know, and 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 it's a push towards
0: abortion to aborting those babies for sure. And the
1: New York Times did an expose this year on prenatal testing and it exposed that it's incredibly inaccurate and so we're actually killing healthy children as well I mean I don't think it's all right to kill children with Down syndrome I didn't do the tests in my pregnancies because I didn't want to Um, I, I didn't feel like I wanted to know because I knew that I was going to continue no matter what mm. and you know I, I know that some of my friends do do the tests because they would rather prepare emotionally in the pregnancy but you know I, I sort of I just, uh, the ABC actually did do this. They reported on the fact that 50% of um, parents who get the diagnosis of Down syndrome feel pressured to abort by the medical profession. Yeah, so definitely.
0: That I that. Yeah, and, I, I can see that. It's it's so alarming that, you know, what gets me about the entire issue is that I think I, I mentioned to you before that the minute you speak, first of all, I'm a man, so I'm not supposed to speak about the issue.
1: Right,
0: a want to mind your own uterus, Chris, but but the, the, that's the way it's looked. But then at the same time, if I if the mother decided to keep my child who wasn't allowed to have an opinion on in the womb and births that child, then I'm responsible for that child as their father for 18 years. But just two weeks prior to that, to birth, my opinion wasn't I wasn't allowed to have an opinion. So yeah. you see the contradictions, and what gets me is the fact that it's becoming a first choice like like the first option like you don't hear these politicians getting up especially that moron down in victoria you don't see him get up there and speak about other measures you know he gets up just a week ago i seen making abortions even easier it's like how about you educate these women on 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 taking the 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 precautions the correct precautions and contraception all these things it should be if it's legal even absolutely
1: so it well the data shows that the vast majority of women choose abortion because they're coerced into it by socioeconomic circumstances so they've got some kind of housing stress they've got mental health stress they've had a you know a relationship breakdown maybe job loss you know there's all these other factors that we could address, and yet state governments don't fund pregnancy help centres. They're run by the pro-life movement, volunteers who give off their time. You know, there's organisations like Diamond Women in Sydney, for example, who have just opened one up in SA. For the first 12 months of that child's life, you will get everything you need to support you to raise that child, like all the material needs that you have. You'll also get life coaching, uh, a counsellor, you know, and there's all these pregnancy help centres that offer these kinds of services, but the governments don't fund them. They just shoehorn and funnel women into abortion. And we're funding that instead of addressing the root causes of why a woman might choose an abortion. And a lot of women are victims of domestic violence. There was a University of Queensland study that showed one in two almost that were going for abortions were victims of some kind of violence. And it's like, well, the abortion is another form of violence. Like a dilation and evacuation abortion, which takes place from about 12 weeks to 20, is literally you've got a child in utero who is conscious and alive and and potentially pain-capable in the middle of that at about 15 weeks, and the abortionist goes in with metal forceps, like hard, cold metal forceps, and and rips off like a baby's leg. So imagine someone ripping off your leg while you're conscious Mm. and then takes that out, goes in now up again, gets the other leg. You know, each body part is like that and then finally crushes the skull with the forceps, pulls it out, assembles it on a dish to check that they got everything because if you left something behind, that's actually very life-threatening for the mother. It's called retained products of conception. That's what a dilation and evacuation is. It's incredibly violent um what age so is it up to a woman,
0: what, what age period do they do that
1: okay so maybe i'll just mention this so in the first trimester it could be a pill abortion in which case they what that does is the first pill starves nutrients to the child so they can't they just they stop getting fed essentially and so they starve yeah. to death the second pill induces labor so the child comes out dead the other method in the first trimester, and a good friend of mine had this one, is a suction abortion where they, they use a vacuum, essentially more powerful than the Dyson, and they just mm. suction out the baby. Um, it just sort of like all comes flying out. But from 12 weeks, a child is too big to get through the suction, right, like the the, the mm. pipe thing. And so you have to break them apart and bring them out. And that's the dilation and evacuation oh. abortion abortion. But then later on, as you're approaching like twenty to twenty four weeks, a child again is too big for that. Like the body the head you know the body parts are too mm. big. So they actually kill the child first and induce labor alive. Sometimes they don't even kill the child first. they induce labor alive, and they assume that the birth process will be traumatic and the, and the child will arrive dead, you know, but it doesn't always happen. So those are the procedures. But just getting back to this issue of a woman who's in a DV situation, you know, and if a woman's in that situation, Getting her to kill her baby actually doesn't do anything. Like it just sends her back to the violent relationship but without the child. I mean, what we really need is exit strategies like proper support if you're in a domestic violence situation to support women to get into a secure house, you know, to get the protection that they need. It's not to just kill their child. Like it's just really horrific that that's our solution. Um, well,
0: it's, re- it's irrelevant to the issue, really.
1: Yeah, it's irrelevant. Like we we should be treating that woman and the situation of violence that she's in, not just killing the child, sending her back to it. And, you know, yeah. yet people, st- these politicians, they like stand up and talk about how pro-women they are when really what they are is pro the abortion industry. That's that's what yeah. they're fighting for. I'd mm-hmm. like to know how much money they get, like these political parties and these politicians get from pe- people like Murray Stowe, like organisations, billion-dollar organizations 1000000000 dollars organizations who claim to be not-for-profit um you know from yeah
0: yeah it'd be huge amounts of money huge amounts of money it would be. It,
1: yeah chris it, mia friedman came after me um you know and she's one of the most powerful women in the australian media and yet she came after me on this abortion issue i'd shared this really tragic story of a child being born alive and left to die in a queensland hospital alone and her response was are you a medical doctor genuine question and when I told her I wasn't, because it's obviously clear from my birthday that I'm not, you know, she kind of lost it at me. It was like, oh, well, how dare you talk about this issue, you know, and um, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be talking about it. Anyway, do a bit of a deep, you don't even have to do a deep dive on me. She gets money from the abortion industry. Like her, she has ads for Mari Stopes on her website, you know, and it's sort of like, well, are these people genuinely interested in uncovering the truth? Like you've just heard a story of a child being born alive and left to die without a right to care in Queensland, and that's your response. Like you know, it's kind of really interesting.
0: There it is. I had to look her up because I never heard of her. That's why I was looking <laughs> down and looking her up. <laughs> Mia, Fr- what it was. She,
1: uh, so she, I think she was like the youngest. Oh, ever she's part of that
0: Mamma Mia. Okay, it explains everything. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah, it's a horrible. They've wrote a few pieces. A lot
1: of my comments, you'll like this, Chris. Um, a lot of the comments were sort of saying, "Well, Mia, it didn't stop you advertising the vaccines, you know, on yeah. you know, very much so on your website, like giving advice, not just accepting advertisements, but actually giving medical advice." Yeah, well, the, these people, sort of-
0: they're they're hypocrites. I'm telling you that these people, you'll find that the vast majority of them, they they don't stand for anything. They they yes. essentially follow the mob like they follow their crowd. So, but when you don't have any value, you don't stand for anything personally. It's a matter of time before mm-hmm. your own views contradict one another. Yeah, because you, you, like, yeah. and that's what she's done there. Obviously, you're not a doctor, you shouldn't be talking about this. But at the same time, she's happy to advocate yeah. for people to get a vaccine when she, in that same she's sense, a... has no right either. So, but that's yeah. what these people do. They just give them, just let them go. because I promise you eventually they all self-destruct because they try it too It's part. so
1: lucrative, like it's so lucrative to be in the establishment and to toe the party mm-hmm. line. And I, it was a big temptation for me because my career, you know, I've gotten to, a prof- to the position of professor before the age of 40 and I've, I've worked really hard to achieve that. And there's all these incredible things that you can get when you toe the line with the establishment like it's so lucrative you know she has she runs I think the biggest independent media company in the country you know because she she just toes the line on everything Um, you know and it's sort of like it's hard to be the person who's deciding to call it all out and you know I knew it was career suicide and you know like the advertiser went after me with a big story that was a total beat up you know the president of the Women's Lawyers Association she called for me to be sacked by my university she was trolling my university's Twitter account um just two weeks ago when I went to WA so I wrote to all the MPs and said do you want to meet here's my research report and one of the very pro-abortion Labor MPs Peter Foster he writes to my vice chancellor so not even to the dean of the law school but literally the BC and says you know they're basically sort of trying to intimidate me and get me investigated at work and in the and the university stood by me and, and wrote back and said, you know, she's got academic freedom, she's not representing the university, but academics are entitled to you, you know, academic freedom. And it's just like they really try to intimidate you and shut you mm. down. And
0: that's what um, they do. You
1: know, yeah. It's They're it's 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 horrifying like that that's the strategy. Instead of engaging, like I would much rather have a debate with someone about the issue. Um, you know, yesterday I spoke to, like, a YouTuber. He's got 130K followers, Matt Williams. He doesn't agree with me on the issue of abortion completely, but it was just so good to talk to, to someone with an open mind um,
0: yeah.
1: and to to have a conversation rather than just to be bullied and intimidated and shamed, yeah. you know, because apparently I'm making women feel uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's one of those issues where, first of all, they won't engage in a debate with you because I think they, these people aren't overly educated on the subject. They just believe that because everyone else is saying that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, that they they don't bother to look any further than that. And some of them do, I'm sure, but a lot of them don't. Um, And, you know, intimidation is their tactic. I mean, you've seen it throughout COVID. Um, You know, some powerful people that were intimidated into silence, or attempted silence. But, you know, you are entitled to your opinion and we're all entitled to our opinion. And it's not like your opinion is just, you know, you thought of it in the shower, and you thought, you know what? I'm going to talk about that. Like it's it's you've researched, you've taken the time, and you're mm-hmm. presenting the data, you're presenting the facts, and they're willingly choosing to ignore it. Yeah. So that's not yeah. your issue. That's that's their problem. Yeah. And anyone with an, anyone with a brain who looks at that and goes, well, why why don't they want to engage in a debate? There must be mm-hmm. a reason for it. Like you're prepared. You've you've walked the walk and you talk the talk. Or you, you've got everything in front of you. You're ready to go, and they're going, yeah, no, we just we don't want to. Yeah. There's a reason for
1: that. Yeah, exactly. Like the advertiser, they had this article, Anti-Abortion Lecturer Under Fire, Students Distressed, and they emailed that as the top story of the afternoon to all their subscribers. There hadn't been a single student complaint to the university, to the dean, or to me personally, or to the VC. And if you read the article, because when you think of an outcry, Chris, do you think of more than one person? You think
0: of the masses.
1: Yeah, so the outcry, you read the article and there was one anonymous former student and the timeline didn't even make up. So I actually think they made up the former student and yet that was kind of the headline story. And I think what they were trying to do is A, ensure that I didn't get promoted to professor because I literally... I'd announced on Insta, I'd just done my, you know, interview for associate professor to professor. So I think they were trying to go after my job. Mm. But I think they were hoping to incite an outcry, <laughs> you know. Like mm. I think that's what they wanted, that I would be walking into the in my workplace and there'd be people outside with placards saying, you know, things about me, you know, sack her, whatever, like, you know, that kind of mob mentality. In the end, 95% of the comments were on my side. The Student Union passed a motion supporting my freedom of speech. The President of the Student Law Society, he wrote to the paper and said I'm a fantastic lecturer because the article made it sound like I shame women in the lecture theatre, like that I judge yeah. them and shame them in this culture of intimidation. I never even talk about abortion in class. I don't need to. Like my topics, that you know, what I teach is so unrelated. But it was just this ridiculous story. So in the end, I think they look pretty bad.
0: Yeah, they will. It's It's, it's not easy. It's tough. But ultimately, if you're supported by the truth and the facts, then, and I've always said that, yeah. despite all the negativity that's that's come my way these past four years, I always think, yeah. well, no, because I, yeah. I've stood for what I believe in, I've spoken my mind, and, and I'm good. I've got a yeah. like, clear so conscience, that's and that's what's important.
1: Yeah. And that's why we don't need a ministry of truth, because the way we've always done it is just through robust debate, we've worked out yeah. what the truth is. You know, um, I'm probably a bit more sensitive than you, Chris, in the sense of like, I struggle um, with it. Like I struggle with just being this controversial figure. Like I, you know, now when I teach, um, for example, at that first class of the semester, I walk in and the students already know who I am. And instead of just liking me because I'm, you know, a young, engaging teacher... They think I'm this crazy anti-abortion extremist and it takes like the semester to sort of show them that I'm actually just a real person like they are and I might have a different Mm. view to some of them, you know. And I I just find that hard and, you know, like... But I'm learning to have thicker skin because I also know that if like people like you and me don't speak up and the people who are listening to this don't speak up, we will just never change things, you know. And and the other side wants us to be afraid. And I've realised, like I've kind of done some deep like mental health work um with a therapist to kind of like work out you know like to kind of game plan war game what might happen you know the worst that could happen I guess is I lose my job like they sack me or there's like this witch hunt against me you know because I go against the establishment Peter Reed I don't know if you know him he's an academic that kind of was disputing the consensus on climate change and you know he his case went I sort of realised, like, if I don't do this as a professor, then how can I expect other people to do it?
0: Mm. Yeah, it's it's not an easy path you're walking, but it's it's important. And I think what you're doing in in raising awareness is the most important thing. Raising awareness, just getting the message out there to people that mm-hmm. I'm sure you get messages from people that have no idea that this goes on. And yeah, what what's concerning is back to your it's point. Really where you said, yeah. yeah, is that when you said that? Sometimes they don't even, they won't even kill the baby first. They just assume that during birth that it will die. Surely there's laws against that. Yeah,
1: you'd think so. You would think so. And I never realised how this actually happened, but I could see from the data. So Victoria and Queensland, they produce these health reports and it's statistical data. So you can't, it doesn't identify anything other than the statistics. But what I could see is that looking at this data between 2010 and 2020, There have been 724 children born alive in Australia after an abortion. So they've survived the abortion, but then they've died. So they're recorded in the data as a neonatal death, and that's because they've been born and then they die. So they're separated from the other children that die through abortion. Anyway, I didn't understand what that meant. Like the statistical data was there. I was doing digging. I'd, I'd heard from some whistleblowers, like nurses and midwives who'd reached out to me how this happened. And because on average, like it's quite significant, it's one a week. So in just two states, every week, a child is born alive after an abortion and left to die without a legal right to care. So the Queensland termination, the pregnancy guidelines explicitly state: if a live birth occurs, do not provide life sustaining treatment. And it says in those guidelines, wrap the baby with warm, uh, wrap the baby for warm. But then it says, depending depending on the parents' wishes, the mother's wishes you might give that child to the mother. But, you know, if you think about it, these are children that have survived a procedure that was intended to kill them. There's not going to be a lot of mothers mm. that are going to want to hold those children. So mm. I did some digging, you know, and I, I remember the moment when I found out, like I was on a plane to Canberra because I had that government appointment and so I was going there once a week for one day. And the plane was about to take off and I was on my phone and I managed to download a coroner's report of Jessica Jane. And I, as I was up, like in in... in in the skies, I was looking at this coroner's report and my like my heart was pounding and my mind was blown because the coroner, Greg Kavanagh, he details how this child was born. So her mother went in for the abortion. She told the doctor she was about 19 weeks. It was for a psychosocial reason. So the fact that she was worried about her career. So she then went into the hospital for the abortion They gave her the tablets to induce labour. The doctor thought that the child would be born dead because of the birth process being so traumatic. Mm. But Nurse Williams, who delivered this child, was confronted with a live baby, like a wriggling, whimpering, crying baby. And the child did not look 19 weeks. She looked about 23 weeks, according to the coroner's report. She weighed 515 grams she had good abcar scores so nurse williams calls the doctor who's not there and says the abortionist and says what do i do and he doesn't give her any advice and just says so and he hangs up the phone so she then wraps jessica in a blanket and puts her on a metal kidney dish in an empty room and jessica lies there for 80 minutes and jessica's perfectly physically healthy you know she's there's nothing wrong with her just she's premature and so greg cavern the coroner is scathing and he says you know, at that point, he said, irrespective of your view on abortion, like you could support abortion up to birth. Mm. But once a child is born, they're a person under the law, they're an Australian citizen, and they should be treated no different to any other child. And so he recommended that there should be guidelines around how to care for that child. He said that once that child is born, there should be a clinical assessment to work out, you know, what's, what's the deal with this child. Should we give them palliative care because they're going to die? Should we give them life-saving treatment because they could live? You know, he said that that should be done. But it's been more than 20 years since that case and none of his guidelines, like not, sorry, none of his recommendations have been implemented. And after that case, so I found that case and I was just completely blown away by it. You know, and interestingly, I put a real TikTok on it and I went to I think half a million and, you know, the <laughs> Someone complained to my university about that. I think they were just upset that I was getting the message out. And so Mm. my dean had to investigate me and she actually had to read the coroner's case of Jessica Jane. And she said to me, you know, you're cleared in this investigation because I can see that your video is accurate, you know. So Mm. it's sort of, I often joke to her, "She's the university should probably establish a complaints department just for me um, because of, of what I'm doing. But after that, I found another case from that same year. This was by coroner Janet Stevenson in New South Wales. This was a child. That had been born alive after an abortion. The child had a congenital abnormality, so they induced the child alive. Actually, once the child was born, the parents held the child for the first hour, but then after that, the child somehow just got lost, and like, as in, there's nothing, no records of what happened. And sometime later, this child was born, found. Sorry, sometime later, this child was found alive, breathing, in a medical waste bin at Westminster Hospital.
0: And, Are you serious? You know.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm serious, like you know, and I don't understand why that wasn't front page news. Like Andrew Bolt covered it, but it's not like it was front page news. I mean, this was a child alive in a bin, you know. And the coroner again, Janet Stevenson, she says in that case that many children she understands are born alive after an abortion, and she says she says there's a to- there was a total abrogation of responsibility on the parts of the people that were meant to be caring for that child once the child was born. And that's not the parents. Like, I want to be clear, like, I'm not suggesting that a mother should be confronted with a live birth, live baby after she's gone in for an abortion. But I think if a child is born, at that point, they are a patient. And Mm. so the doctors have a duty to care for that child. And, you know, another thing Greg Kavanagh said was there should be a coronial inquiry every time a live birth occurs. And yet in WA right now, we have this bill and just on Tuesday, so in less than four days, there's going to be a, 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 a vote on this amendment and the amendment says that if a child is born alive after an abortion, they should have a right uh, to care no different to any other child born alive in WA. You would think that, that would be non-controversial, wouldn't you? You know, I fought yeah. for that in Australia and I got that in the law here with some other people. We worked on that. So we have this equal treatment. Principle under the law. I like to call it birth equality. You're born, you're equal, Mm. you have equal rights. Absolutely. Um, And yet the health minister, the, the government is not supporting it, the Labor government, and the health minister has said there's no such thing as a failed abortion. She said babies are not born alive after an abortion. And, you know, even in WA where they don't release the data like Queensland and Victoria. Through questions asked on notice in the parliament, we can see that 28 children from 1998 have been born alive and do not have a legal right to care. You know, so this is just really, really incredible stuff. And there was a Senate inquiry, a federal Senate inquiry, and I went down to Canberra and I met with the inquiry and I gave evidence, I presented data, because the other side said, oh, these children, if they live, it's just like for a matter of seconds. so who really cares? And I showed the 2018 peer-reviewed journal article in the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynaecology, so a really reputable journal article. They looked at 241 late-term abortions where feticide wasn't given, so the child wasn't killed first. They were just induced alive and presumed they would die through the process. One in two, so over 50% of children in that study were born alive. The average survival time was 32 minutes. One child in that study survived for 267 minutes, so four hours. So I presented that data. I gave them the Westmead coroner's case, the Jessica Jane case. They did not mention any of this in their final report. They they completely covered it up. They whitewashed the issue. I was, like, gobsmacked because Senator Mario Smith, who was chairing the inquiry, after I presented evidence, she started following me on Instagram, you know. So I yeah. knew she was, and you can tell who's watching your stories. And, yeah. you know, I knew she knew what I was talking about and she, I presented that data and I, I just could not believe it. Like, they didn't quote a single thing I'd said, but they also just didn't quote any of the data or evidence, none of the statistical information, just abortion lobby after abortion activist you know like pro-abortion doctors that was all the voices that they quoted and it was like the unsubstantiated opinions of these lobbyists you know so a disgusting report and after I called her out on it and exposed it um obviously Marielle stopped following me and you know I just think that that's kind of really interesting too like she was obviously aware like I, I sort of think like what's going on in a person like Marielle like her maiden speech Chris. She got up in the parliament as a new senator and a maiden speech was about how she's come to this place to make a difference for the children of Australia and I think if you're chairing an inquiry and maybe you were pressured into it like maybe like there's I don't know if you know this Chris but Emily's List in the Labour Party this is why all the politicians are so pro-abortion so Emily's List was started in 1996 sole goal to get pro-abortion women pre-selected into the Labour Party So that's why the Labor Party is so hijacked on this issue. And maybe Mariel Smith, she's not going to get pre-selection next time, like she's going to lose a job if she doesn't do what Emily's List wants her to do, this very powerful abortion lobby group. But, you know, I just think, like, if you've come to this place to speak up for Australian children, Mm. then, you know, how can you be the chair of an inquiry that whitewashes this issue and hides the, this data on these most vulnerable children that are born in Australia and i just think again that's why we need a better calibre of politician because i assume that by showing them the data they would have their eyes opened and they would then you know report on the data but that's just not what has happened so we need to clean this mob out and really start again you know chris i, I should also mention Another thing they say is that this doesn't happen anymore. So they say, oh, yeah, Jessica, that was bad. The baby dumped in a bin, yeah, that was bad. But it doesn't Mm. happen anymore because that was 20 years ago. But just earlier last month, so in August, I managed to find another case. So little baby Xantha, she's a little girl. Her parents went in for an abortion at 19 weeks because she had Down syndrome. Mm. And so they went into a Queensland hospital. She was induced because they assumed I think the reasons by the way that the doctors do it from what I understand is it's just an easier thing like you don't have to inject poison like digoxin into the child to induce death and then deliver stillborn so it's just quicker and easier and cheaper to deliver and and they assume the child will be born dead and Xantha's parents were not told that a live birth was a possibility anyway she was born alive and then just dumped in an empty hospital room in Queensland. The parents were informed and she lay there for seven minutes. And so, you know, this was exposed in the Courier Mail, but the focus of the article in the Courier Mail was actually about the fact that the mother had become suicidal after the live birth and the doctors had, you know, she only found out about the live birth because of an offhand comment by a staff member at the hospital. And so, you know, it's really clear that We know from the statistical data that this happens now. It happens every week, once a week at the very least. But through baby Xantha's story, we now know without a doubt that this happens and and these children are not born alive and held in their final moments and taken care of, which is what the WA Health Minister had the audacity to tell Parliament. Like that's just not true. We know from Xantha that some children are just dumped in a room and, and just essentially left to die you know, and it's a genuine problem. It, it's an issue and we kind of really need some brave journalists and, and also brave nurses and midwives to come and speak out publicly with their names. We have anonymous reports, mm. you know, but we just don't have the the whistleblowers coming out publicly. And the reason we don't is because they could lose their jobs if they do.
0: Of course. And, and that's uh, the unfortunate thing a lot of the time. It's just, it's pressure. It's mm. peer pressure that, that these people... Choose to remain silent, but you know you have to question the the people in that situation. Like as a, if I was there, let's say I was a cleaner just walking through the room, mm. um, I physically i I could not I couldn't turn a blind eye. I would personally, yeah. as a cleaner, have to pick that child. I couldn't just ignore it. Well, like you have I to know, question that these people. Like they can't be. It's that. A, well, even if it does sound harsh, I don't really care to be honest. It's it's the reality is this: if you can ignore that and walk away as if nothing has happened, when there's a baby there presumably crying or at least making a fuss and moving around, and you can just ignore that, that's a bit concerning. Yeah. The, well, the I agree.
1: Thing. Like The Hippocratic Oath, like, do no harm. I mean, Dr Johnny Sacker, he gave evidence to show you're a person from first breath and under the criminal law, like this is essentially murder by so it's an act of omission. You're not giving care to that child. And mm. you know, whether it's palliative care to make them more comfortable in their final moments, or whether it's life-saving treatment, I share on my Instagram um, at Dr. Joanna Howe about Tim, a little German baby who was born alive, again, down syndrome, that's why his parents went in for the abortion. Born alive, he lay on a metal kidney dish for seven hours before a nurse who participated in the abortion, and the abortion relented and picked him up, wrapped him up, gave him a little bit of milk, you know, and he was adopted out and his parents wrote a book about his life. So, you know, we're talking mm-hmm. about Australian children who, if given care, some of them could survive, you know, like Down syndrome is not a life-threatening diagnosis. So no. obviously at 19 weeks, little baby Xantha, she wasn't going to survive. She was, She was just too young. But she should at least have been given comfort care. You know, she shouldn't have been dumped in a room alone. And and there should be a legal right to that care, you know, because is it just Doesn't me? It. But I don't trust the person that committed the abortion, like the procedure intended to kill that child, to then be the person who cares for that child after no. they are born alive. Like I just don't trust that to no. work.
0: There, there should be someone in the room present during all of them. And as much as I disagree with um, abortions in, in general, I think if, you know, if that's the way it is, well, then you could at least have someone in the room who's there on standby if it goes wrong and the child is born alive they're responsible for caring Absolutely. for Absolutely like
1: there should be there should be a third party that has to take to, to make that clinical assessment so a pediatrician on site makes a clinical assessment of what is in the best interest of that child you know yeah. and I, I just sort of think, like, how could anyone be against that? And it's just because they don't know. Chris, I'm so sorry. My kids, I don't know if you can hear no, the background noise. It's okay. But I say, well, that's good because no, they've suddenly, right. suddenly descended. They were at the playground and I, I can tell like, there's some doors being opened. So I'm so sorry about the noise. No, that, that's fine. I'm that's fine. I've got wind of the fact that I'm still on this podcast interview with you. So
0: That's fine. Look, I think, I think ultimately if a child is born alive, and this is my opinion, if, if a child yeah. is born alive, they should not be left there to die. There should, be a, yeah. there should be a duty upon whoever that person is to care for that child. I don't if the child has a chance of surviving, that's that's the that's the point I want to make. If the child is destined to die in like 19 weeks, for example, or well, there's no chance, no matter what care you give them, they're absolutely going to die, then they should be made comfortable until that time yeah. arrives. But if the child is born alive and there is every chance that they can survive. In my opinion, if you allow that child to die after that point, you're a murderer. There's no that's that's the logical explanation.
1: Yeah, it is murder. Like I think Dr. Johnny Sacco made that really clear for the politicians, and it's no wonder his evidence wasn't quoted in the report. They just hid his evidence. But it, it is murder if you don't. If there's a child there who could live, and you deprive them of of life through not giving them medical care, then you have murdered that child. And you know, this is the gritty reality of abortion up to birth. This is something they just don't want us to know about. But we have abortion survivors. So, you know, Melissa Oden in the US, she was dumped in a hospital as well, like um, kind of like in a waste bin and found breathing still alive. She was given care and she's now such an outspoken um, advocate for the human rights of these children. So we know that this happens, you know, Um And it's just about exposing it. And I I think 99% of Australians would agree with you and me. They might might be pro-choice, but they would agree that if a child is born, they should have a legal right to care. They should be a person under the law. And so there's a bill before the parliament at the moment, the federal parliament, that Senator Matt Canavan has introduced, and all it does is it enshrines federally what we managed to achieve in South Australia. So, an equal treatment provision that if you are born, you are treated no differently to any other child born in this country. And again, but the fact that we're like- having
0: this conversation is mind blowing. Yes. When you think about yes. how progressive this country claims to be and how they want every second person to have, well, every every single person to have a right, no matter how diluted yes. their views on, on whatever it may be. For example, we're, we're allowing children to change their genders at 14 16 mm. years old they're so progressive in one way but then in the other way on the other end of it with what you're speaking about now they're they're prepared to let a child just die well, it doesn't need to die it doesn't have to die yeah. they're choosing to it's it's it, they're ignoring it yeah. they're ignoring the reality you know,
1: I assumed as I kept saying that you you told people about this, and you show them the coroner's reports, and they, because you can Google the Jessica Jane coroner's report, the Westmead baby one is a chambers report, so I've got a copy, but it's not publicly available. Xantha, that's on the public record too. So you would assume that people would hear this, these politicians, and they would recommend that this bill would pass, but instead, they made no recommendation and they just quoted abortion lobbyists, you know. And it's sort of like, well, how how do we do this? But we, we just have to activate people on it. That. Like, that's, that's the story. Okay. Um, this is my number four. Number four.
0: <laughs> how was
1: the playground? It was uh, good. Oh, it was bad. So I just, oh, it was hot. It's a really hot day. Is it hot there place. as
0: well? Yeah, it's very warm. I reckon he's been playing in the mud. Do you want
1: to just give <laughs> mummy in a minute and I'll finish up? I know. Sorry, Chris. You chat if you <laughs> what do you do with your kids? Are they just sort of like locked in a room somewhere or uh, where's I've your got,
0: fun? Uh, well The younger four are out with their mum and my older son, 14 year olds, <laughs> in the room playing his Xbox.
1: That's the good thing about 14. They sort of. Yeah, but
0: yeah, I've nice. got my age between three and twelve, so yeah. Okay, yeah. They are once they yeah, they're good. The other ones look in saying that, my um my nine year old and to be honest, all of them are pretty good besides the, the baby, obviously.
1: Yeah. She doesn't care. Yeah, so how old's your two, youngest? Two. Two. Oh yeah. yeah so we've got a three year old and, and he's a bit of a terrorist, but we do love him, don't we, Ned?
0: <laughs> That's right. It's your job to be that mate. You have to um yes, that age is uh, a fun age. <laughs> Definitely. But it's, um, but listen, you, you've really um, opened my eyes. I'm sure everyone listening, especially the people that have no idea this happens to begin with, um, it'll blow their minds. Because, I, I, again, I honestly believe the vast majority of people have no idea that this happens. Yeah. I truly yeah. believe and that. And it's our job
1: to tell them. So uh, if I could say one thing to people who are listening, yeah. ignorance isn't an excuse when this is happening in Australia and not speaking up isn't an excuse and I think the thing about speaking up the children who have been born alive is you're not even having to be pro-life like you you don't even have to express an opinion on the issue of abortion you can literally just um call out this particular issue and if we do that then we're doing a good Thing and, and that will make change so i really encourage people to you know share this podcast to go to my website download a fact sheet share my reels on instagram on the issue some of them are pinned and and, and that's the way we'll make change
0: definitely do, do you think that i'll let you go this on this last question do you think that a big reason for this is because they've managed and i'm sure it's the the lobby groups they've managed to sort of collate all of it into one so when they're saying we're pro-choice they're taking you know it's such a broad thing again like you're talking about terminations at at six weeks eight weeks and then terminations at 28 weeks they're vastly different things with vastly different results and consequences but they've put it all together in sort of
1: as as one issue but
0: it's not a singular issue
1: exactly so what they've done like it used to be Sorry, Ned's doing that. It used to be abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. That was kind of the mantra of like pro the pro-choice movement. But now it's you're not pro-choice, you're pro-abortion. Abortion is healthcare. Abortion rights are women's rights, you know, and, and it's sort of that's where they they're now not just selling. Choice. They're selling abortion and they're being very explicit around that. And so mm-hmm. if, if you're like you and me and we're against abortion up to birth, then you're going against abortion. And uh, according to them, abortion is a good. So that's that's the thing. And but I think in a way, Chris, that radicalization of the issue helps us because they yeah. literally have to sell a child being ripped apart by mental forceps as a good thing. You know, like no, the people that the, the WA politicians that are voting for abortion up to birth. They are voting against an amendment that says you can't kill babies because they're girls, or you can you have to give legal rights to a child born alive. Like they're
0: voting. Who's against voting, that who's, stuff. voting
1: who, who's voting against that? All lots of politicians. Like, like, so like Sally Talbot, Sue Ellery, um, Brad Petty, like the there is there's 19 of them in WA who are voting oh. against these things, like as we speak. You know, I I'm doing like a last ditch call, Chris. So all of the right. amendments that i advocated for haven't passed and i'm devastated by that there are amendments that we have in south australia so i didn't go to wa and say kill this bill let's get you know let's make abortion illegal that wasn't what i was saying all i was saying is pass my amendments that we got passed in sa that would make it That would just make, uh, that would just introduce some safeguards around late term Mm. abortion. That's essentially what, you know, I wasn't even arguing, let's get rid of late term abortion. I was just saying, can we introduce some safeguards so that if a child is born alive, they're entitled to care? Can we make sure girls aren't killed because they're girls? Can we make sure um, that we collect data on this issue so we can have evidence based health policy? Um, yet all of this, you know, even just can we give women an information statement? <laughs> Ned, can we give women an information statement on counseling so they just know what services are available before they get an abortion? Amendment after amendment has been voted down. And so the last one really that I'm fighting for <laughs> is for children born alive. And that's on Tuesday. That amendment is is going to be debated by the WA and P. I am just, it will take a miracle. Like, you know, given how they are voted on the other issues, yeah. but I'm, I'm trying to, you know, really, I've, I've done my first kind of call for donations because I'm, I've realised that the only way these politicians, the only thing these politicians care about is their jobs, like a lot yeah. of them, you know. So if they realise that they're going to be exposed for what they're doing and it's going to cost them their seat in parliament, then maybe, just maybe, they might give a legal right to care for children born alive. So that's on Tuesday, and I've, I've managed to get some donations in, so I'm going to be promoting this more widely on social media over the next couple of days um, because I, I, I just think, like, we've got to do everything we can. If this bill passes the way it is, it will be the most extreme abortion bill in the world up there with North Korea and China. Um, mm. And this is a once-in-a-decade shot. Like, these bills don't come around a lot. This The last time this was debated in WA was 1998. So if we have to wait another 20 years to give legal rights to children yeah. born alive or to have some safeguards around late-term abortion, you know, that that's shocking. So we have to speak up now.
0: I can't believe you even have to fight for that. It's so bizarre yeah. that you have to personally advocate yeah. the right of these children to have care and, and to have protections in place. For, it's, it's mind-blowing that we're having this conversation. Yeah. That's what I said it's, before. Yeah. We're so progressive in so many ways, even when it borders on delusion... But yet when it comes to something as fundamental as the right mm. of of a child who's who's born alive, and I think that 99.9% of people of the general population would be in support of that. I mean, you have to be a bit perverted. You have mm. to be perverted to say that a parent has the right to end the life of a child because of its gender. You have to be yeah. not all there. I
1: know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what? <laughs> so the Liberal leader, Libby Metem, from WA, like, I think she must have something loose in here because she literally stood up in the parliament and she didn't say what a travesty, children are born alive and left to die, we should give them a legal right to care. She said we should not even report these deaths, these live births and deaths to the coroner because it would be too distressing for the parents. I mean, this is literally a child that is born. If anyone's in distress, it's that child who is born, can feel pain. And that's another thing. The Health Minister Amber Jade Standerson, she stood up in the parliament and she said children in utero and after birth don't feel pain. And that's just not true. I mean, you've had five kids. You would know. Yeah. Like i clipped my child's fingernail, my firstborn. You know, they come out with these like creepy long fingernails Mm. like and, and, like, she, like, screamed blue murder because, like, I accidentally got the skin, you know, and that was, like, a one day old. But the scientific research also clearly establishes um, that children can feel pain from at least 18 weeks, but possibly earlier. And definitely I- after birth. So, you know, it's just incredible that this is the kind of shit that people are saying in Parliament mm-hmm. not being held to account by the mainstream press, you know, not at all, not not no. one single mainstream outlet holding them to account.
0: You need to be, yeah, I, I would not, if I was you, I would not be relying on the mainstream media to do anything. Mm. They will not do anything yeah. about it, I can promise you. You need to use your platform and and whatever you need from me prior to that mm-hmm. hearing, please let me know. Um, I'll get this out there and I'll share the important clippets that the people can then share as well to get the message out yeah, there. But That's that's the, the only message. way that it's going to happen. But, but don't underestimate the power of, of the people and, and the power of social media. Like, that's why... <laughs> That's why they're introducing the Ministry of Truth. That's why yeah. they're going to these, these fact-checkers who are government-funded, who are writing articles to support their agenda. They know that they're losing power, The people are having, they got we've got too much power for their liking. That's the reality of it. And yeah.
1: No, I think that's like, right. So that that is like the only way they win is if they shut us down, and so that's yeah. what they're
0: trying to do. Yeah, but um, with someone like yourself at the, the forefront of that fight, um, good luck to them. Um, because it's something that you're you're clearly passionate about, and as you should be. And it's been a pleasure talking to you, and you've definitely taught me. I'm, I'm happy. Okay. I need I needed to have this conversation. You've got the whole tribe in there. You've um, definitely educated me on the subject, and it's something that I needed to investigate myself because I was quite uneducated on it. But um, keep doing what you're doing, and yeah, anything you need from me, you let me know anytime.
1: Okay, sorry. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much. I think you really have to go.
0: (laughs) That's okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time.